Okay. Good afternoon. It's a, it's a blessing for me to be here, and I just trust that uh, this message will richly impact your life, as it has uh, impacted mine, and uh, just, I mean, changed my whole life, changed my perspective of who God is. Um, I'm going to title this, The Dangers of Tithing. The dangers of tithing, and I, and I, I'm serious when I when I say that. You know, we've we've had this concept that it's a safe place, you know, to tithe and give your money to the local church, and um, you know, give into the kingdom because we don't want to be cursed. We want to be blessed, and and we want to work the principles of God so that we can prosper. Uh, but actually, that is a very dangerous place to be in the light of. Uh, the plan that God has for man. Now, as a start, and I'm, I'm saying it to you guys and for whosoever will listen to this message in the years to come on the internet, that um, I am not saying that we cannot give. I'm not saying that we cannot be generous. Because the, if I should say that, I'm, I'm actually going against our very nature. I'm going against what God's original plan was for us. I'm also not saying that a, a minister cannot be full-time in ministry. I mean, I'm here, you know, uh, for s six, seven weeks in the United States preaching the gospel. Now, I can't do this unless there are people that... Did I, did I switch it on? Okay, it's on. Okay, sorry, man. So, uh, you know, I, I, I can't do that if, if, I, um, if, if I don't have people that give towards me. So I am standing on the receiving end as well, you know, of people that give and are generous. And the reason why I say that is so that you will know that I don't, I don't preach this from a hurt perspective or because I wanna, uh, I've got something against the church or I live in bitterness or anything like that. That is not the foundation. The foundation from where I'm ministering is just life and God's plan with us. And what he wanted us to share in. Now, I'm going to, before I start uh, uh, preaching this, let, me, let us just pray together. Father, I want to thank you that you love us. I want to thank you that you care for us. I want to thank you that you have come to give us life and life in abundance. You've come to um, share with us uh, what it really is to have your quality of life. And I want to thank you that you've done that. And as I preach tonight, I thank you, Father, that I will preach in a way that every person that is here's heart can be fully persuaded. I want to preach as what Jesus would have preached. Uh, thank you, Father, that, I, that this doesn't come from a heart of bitterness or anger, but just a heart of uh, absolute revelation of what true generosity is all about and uh, just what the gospel is all about in the area of finances. Thank you for that, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, uh, there's a verse in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9, that, uh, that always bothered me. And I remember when I received Jesus, uh, you know, I, I, and I'm just going to give a little bit of my testimony here. When I was 17 years of age, um, you know, I, I had a, my nephew um, came to me, and he was like this free thinker, you know, and he, he said to me, you know, always lead unto God. If you're a Buddhist or if you're an atheist or if you are whatever it is, eventually, you know, it's just a, a way to get to God. 
And um, I was frustrated with Christianity at that young age because there was just something inside me that told me what we are, um, you know, doing doesn't work. You know, it, it doesn't bring life. And what I then did was, I basically said, well, I'm going to try the other ways. So I went to the library, got, got myself a book on some Eastern religions and stuff, and Eastern meditations, and I started to do that. And you know what? It went better with me. <laughs> because, because I wasn't so scared anymore. You know, I, I felt that I don't have this God that's going to judge me and all those kind of things. But I didn't have life in me. And um, then I, I saw a vision. And in this vision, now you might think of this whatever you, you like, but this is the vision I saw. And this is how I basically received the Lord. I saw a vision, and in this vision there was two roads. And the one going into destruction and the other one going into life. But in this vision I saw the road to life, and that was all that I was beholding. And I was going on this road to life, you know. And this vision, you must remember, I didn't believe in visions. I was in the Dutch Reformed Church. We didn't even believe in the gifts of the Spirit. We didn't even believe there is such a thing as a vision. It was never taught to us, you know. It it was never. And I I remember I was in the back of a a minivan or minibus, and we um, was part of our school's uh, uh, drama department, and we just went to do this play. And uh, we came back, and we went over this mountain. It was at night. And as we came over the mountain, um, I looked, and I saw something outside the window. And I looked at this. I thought, what is this? You know. And as I looked at it, it, it almost took me out of my body into it. Now, this, I've, I've never heard of this in all my life. And what I saw, and, and this was actually funny. Later on, when I drove past that same place, I realized that the vision couldn't have lasted longer than about two seconds, three seconds. But it felt like 20 minutes. Okay, and I was pulled out of my body. That's how it felt. And, and I was in this place where I was on the road. But I, w- I remember I was in the car and I could look out of the window and see what was going on. Yet I was in there. You can't explain it with human words. But, um, and I, I just saw the, like the gates of heaven, if you would uh, it wasn't really real gates, but I, it, was, it re- represented life. And I was going there, you know. And I was walking there, and I'm happy walking there. But the more I walk there, the further it becomes. And then I thought, what's pulling me? And when I looked around, I saw I'm entering this darkness. And I was out of the vision, and I was scared. And I didn't know what to do. I went to my mom. I said, Mom, man, I had this vision, and I, I'm scared. Then she said to me, no, you need to go and see the reverend. I went to the reverend. <laughs> yeah, the reverend said to me, he literally said to me, it's my hormones. <laughs> About 17 years of age, this is what happens, you know, so don't, uh, you know, and he, and he prayed for me. And I, I remember walking out of there, and when I walked out of there, um, I said, God, this didn't work. Because I, di- I don't feel... Something in me. Something didn't work. And then I saw this placard on a, on a tree. And this placard said, uh, there's a youth outreach. So I, I, and, and I just heard this voice in me say, go there. Go there. <laughs> so I got on my bicycle. And it's like uh, 30 miles. And I drove there. 
or rode there with my bicycle. And I mean, there was a bus taking school kids there, but I, I mean, I didn't understand this. And I was now also thinking along the lines of other religions, so I, I don't know how this works. So I was scared that somebody could rob me from this. Because I heard this voice inside me saying, go there. So I went there, and they had all the things for the teenagers there, and I just sat there. I'm not doing any of these things because I'm looking on how am I going to get life. I need life. And then the preacher came up and he, and, he, and he basically said that you can have a different relationship with God than what you used to have. And that Jesus doesn't look at your sin. That he's not angry with man. And that he loves people. And, um, and then I, I, I went forward when he uh, made the altar call, and I didn't even respond to the altar call in the sense of um, praying a sinner's prayer. I stood at the side of the stage, and this is what I said. I said, God, if um, I don't know about these other guys, but I'm serious. Amen. <laughs> that, that, that's it, you know. I, it wasn't about sin confession. It wasn't about any of that. It was actually about accepting that he loves me, that, that he cares. And a new life came forth in me effortless. And from that day, I had such a passion to share the gospel. A week later, I was just preaching. Two weeks later, I was starting a small fellowship at our, in, in our backyard, you know, um, just telling people how good God is and that they can receive Jesus and just preaching. And I had this passion for people, especially the poor. I would go to the poor, and I would just reach out to the poor. I remember taking all my pocket money, buying Bibles, and giving people Bibles, you know, and uh, praying for the sick and all that. I didn't know that you can get gifts from God and none of those teachings. I was just, I just felt God loves me, you know, and he's a good dad. He's my Abba. He's my father, you know, and I'm his son. I remember I, uh, back then... Just after I received the Lord, just like two or three weeks, I was saying, He's my Father, and whatever is His is mine. You know, and I didn't talk about money or things. I was just, it, it was just, whatever is His is mine. And in my mind, it was the life that He possesses, the joy that He possesses, and all those kind of things. I would go everywhere and share the gospel. Even in school, they said to me that I can't share so much gospel at school. You know, and I would go to the poor, to the rich, and I would, I remember this one guy, a very rich guy, um, and his children was also in the school, and so one day I went to his house, I think I knew, my, my sister knew their, their kids or something, and I was there, and I was just so excited, and I just shared the gospel with them. I never knew that they were rich. I just saw this guy, and I was thinking, you know, this, we would call him an uncle. That's the Afrikaans way of like saying sir. This, this uncle, this older guy, he would just be so enjoyed to have this message, you know, of God loves us and he, he wants to save you and he wants to give you life. And just in the simple way that I know the gospel, I would share. Never seeing what car a person drives, what clothes he wears, where he stays, all this thing about a, a, a rich neighborhood, poor neighborhood was never in my mind. I never even grew up with that. You know, my, my parents didn't grow up, they never taught me, this is rich and that is poor. It was, my mom always said to me, you know, that you are special, you are loved, and she taught me 
that if anybody says anything that's not good about you, he lies. Now, it didn't come from a Christian perspective, just a strong world, you can do it in life, you know, humanistic kind of uh, attitude. So I, I wasn't taught that when I wasn't, uh, uh, you know, in, how, in, 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 my, in my house. My, my mom and dad never talked about, never, you know, those people are so rich. And so I never had that mentality. I was actually at a safe place, and that was one of the benefits I had in, well, I can say my parents did a good job in, the, in that area of money. So then I, um, after that I went to the army, the defense force, South African defense force, and then I went to university. At university, um, you know, I, I said to my mom, I don't want to go to university. I want to go and preach the gospel. So she said, you must have something behind your name. So that, you know, basically, if God fails you, you know, that you can have something to fall back on, to, you know. And, and I, I understand why she said that. And then I, after six months, I said, no way, you know, I'm, I, I can't do this. I want to go and preach the gospel. So I stopped my studies, and I, I went to a Bible school. And, um, you know, in that time when I was uh, um, in, the, in, in the army and university, there was this verse that really bothered me. And let me read it to you. It says here in 1 Timothy 6, verse 5, it says, Perverse disputings of men, of corrupt minds. It talks about certain preachers. Destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. From such withdraw yourself, but godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and, food and raiment, let us be there with content. But they that want to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drawn men into destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while men coveted after they have erred from the faith and have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Now that's a terrible verse to read in a typical, you know, prosperity gospel church, you know. Those that want to be rich fall into temptation and a snare. And, and, but what bothered me was this verse that says, for the love of money is the root of all evil. And then I, I, that time I didn't read the love of money. I just read money is the root of all evil. And I, I had, I think this is the, the first thing that bothered me, even in the days when I was just so in love with God. It, it bothered me because if money is the root of all evil, how am I ever going to have a proper Christian life? Because I can't be without money. I need money. So this was my conclusion. Just make sure you don't have enough of it. You know, then you're safe. You know, don't have too much, then you're safe. And then when I was, um, when I just got uh, um, uh, uh, basically in, in university that time, Bible school, I started to watch Christian television. And here comes this guy and he preaches on this. Now, I'm not going to call names, you know, but he comes and he preaches on this. And he says, I want to point something out. And he says, the love of money is the root of all evil, not money. And I just felt, ah, oh, now at least now I can have money. You know, because <clears throat> it's the love of money. You know, and, and then I, I listened to another message. You know how it is. You listen to a message. You, you just draw a little bit out of it. And then you listen to another one. You get something else. And then the next message and the messages to follow, I got this. 
that God actually wants you very, very rich. And then I said, well, um, you know, God wants me very, very rich. And then I started to think, I felt something's not completely right, but I mean, at least this guy got it right with a love of money. So let me give him some time. Let, let him explain. And I listened to another message, and he basically says that Jesus Christ died to take away all the poverty. So if you don't want to be rich, you are actually mocking his sacrifice. And that's where I just got into it. I just said, oh, Lord, yes, amen. You know, I'm, I'm not going to spit upon the cross. I'm not going to be against the gospel. I'm not going to be against your sacrifice. Yes, this makes sense. You've come that I can be rich. And if you want me rich, you know, then I'm going to, and if that is what you've accomplished by the cross, I'm going to be as rich as what I can get because that is your will then for me. And I don't want to, you know, um, just from a sincere heart, said, God, I don't want to make a mockery out of your sacrifice. If you died to give, make me rich, then I'm going to be rich. Okay. But then I, nothing changed. I mean, I've had the same money in my account. <laughs> okay, God, I'm going to be rich. So let it be. Nothing. Uh, okay. Um, but I was still... Then I start, what happened then was, all of a sudden, my bank account and what's going on in my bank account became an issue to me. And then I started to see rich people and poor people. So then I would look at the rich, and I would think, man, no, not just the rich, because I believe the rich in the world, I, I never thought like this. This was, never part of my, this, was, this was never part of my thought pattern prior to this teaching. Then I started to think the rich in the world, the devil makes them rich. That's why they're rich. But the rich in the church is because they've discovered something. And all of a sudden, <clears throat> I got this, this respect for the rich in our church. And I wanted to hang out with them because I want to hear what is the key. You know, they must have some key. You know, how do they get rich? Because all of a sudden, I desire to be rich. You know, it, almost like, like this, this person says, like, like, like this verse says, they that will to be rich, in verse 9. So I start to will to be rich because this must be the will of God. Because look at the sacrifice, look at all these things. And I came and I said, but now... How do I become rich? I, there must be something wrong, you know. And I started to become something's wrong conscious. I never lived like that. And as I listened to other programs, I got the key. The key is, you know, God has given everything, but there's an activator. You know, and, and, and what was said is, if you pay your tithe, then, you, you know, you activate what was already given in the cross. I don't know if you've ever heard that, but that is what, you know, the, the background that I come out of. So I said, okay, hallelujah. You know, but, um, and then I said, Lord, you know, all of a sudden when that happened, the whole thing about rich, I discovered my own poverty. It's almost like Adam. I discovered my own nakedness and I was ashamed. I, w I never knew I was naked. I never knew I was poor. I was just happy. 
living in the garden of God, enjoying, you know, the father coming in the cool of the day, my daddy, you know, and hearing his voice. And all of a sudden, here I'm now in a place where I discover my nakedness. I'm, I'm actually a bit ashamed um, to go and visit the rich with the car I drive and, um, you know, the clothes I wear because this, I mean, that pair of shoes is a year and a half old, you know. And, um, you know, I always thought if you've got one pair of feet, you don't need more than one pair of shoes. That was my mentality. And, and I, I just grew up with this contentment. You know, the gospel just brought this in me naturally. After I received Jesus, I wasn't under the teaching of nobody. I just read the Bible and I prayed and God spoke to me and I had this love relationship. And here I come and I, and I get involved in the Bible school and all those kind of things. And, and especially the Christian TV because I'm passionate. I want to learn more. And these people know more, so let me learn. And... Uh, I, I become rich, poor, conscious, and and my passion for the poor, you know, I I just felt they can't teach me anything. You know, they they actually a bit cursed because yeah, they're loved by God. It's not that God doesn't love them. Go and preach to the poor because God wants the poor to become stinking, filthy rich. So that's why I'm going to preach now because God wants you rich. And uh, the tithing thing, and I, and, I, and I took my money. You know, that time, I, I, I really was poor. You must remember when I went into um, Bible school, um, my, my dad didn't like that. He wanted me to study at university. So he said, well, I'm not supporting you then anymore. So my mom secretly gave me $40 a month. And that's what I had to live with. I had $40. I never knew I was poor with a $40 a month. Um, and Bible school was 30 of the $40. So then I had a $10 for the month. That's not a lot of money. That was in 93. Okay? So um, then I thought, okay, I'm going to tithe off this. Now, what I would do is um, I had a car, and then I would use that for some gas money to go to the area where I could preach to the poor. So now I can't do that anymore. But it doesn't matter. I want to become rich and I'm going to give this tithe now so by the end of the month, my breakthrough is going to be there. <laughs> I mean, that's what this guy told me. If I give 10%, God is not a liar. You can, you can never test God, but you can test Him in this. So that's the only thing God ever gave you a right to test him in. And I mean, I know my Abba. He's never going to lie. He's never lied to me. He's healed the sick when I prayed for them. He's explained scriptures when I asked him. He's always been good. I was just ignorant of this money thing. And then I paid that tithe. And the end of the month, I remember having nothing. And then, and then I would take my bicycle and I would cycle into this uh, 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 poor area in the at night in the dark with very dangerous area. And I would go and preach because I know my Abba, you know. He's going to provide in the end of the month, before the end of the month, you know, I'm going to have this breakthrough and I'm going to start to become rich and then I can take 10% of that again and I can give it and God's just going to prosper me. This is a, a principle, man. And the end of the month came. Nothing. I'm not like, I don't want to, mock God or anything, but I will tell you, 
I'm just telling you the truth. Nothing. And I thought, what is this, Lord? Something's wrong. Something's wrong. And then I realized, you know, the voice of my Abba, what also happened, I, I want to I put this in. When I started to tithe and work this principle, I, I felt, man, I'm really moving into the deeper things of God now. I'm starting to understand things about God that I never understood. I start to understand that He's a principle God. He's a God of principles, you know. And I could, all of a sudden, when I, when I realized He's a God of principles, man, I could hear the principle God showing me principles in the Bible. And now I can follow these principles, you know. There's a principle of giving. And if you follow that principle, God honors the principle. And then, um, you know, when the first month nothing happened, then I, I went to the guy, uh, um, the, the pastor, and I said to him, nothing happened, you know, well, a month or two, I can't exp remember exactly, but a month or two, and nothing happened. And he says, no, listen, you know, there's also a principle of obedience. So you just need to obey. Look at Abraham. You know, he obeyed, and he pushed through. So I realized, you know, God is, there's not, God is not, I'm not really getting deep into the things of God. He's a principle God, but he's also an obedience God. Mm. You know? And then as I, as I continued with that, and, and, and I didn't see tithe, the tithing is not, is, is not working, you know, uh, then I, the guy said to me, listen, man, the kingdom of God, you know, is, 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 you know, first seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness, then all these things shall be added unto you. And these are kingdom principles, you know. Then I realized, but there's something even deeper in God. You know, He's a, he's a, he's a, he's a principle God, He's an obedience God, and He's a kingdom God. There's a kingdom. So, wow, God, I'm really learning a lot. And um, so then the guest speaker came again, some months later to that church and I, I went and I said to him, listen man, I, I just want to be honest with you. I paid that I, I gave this tithe, you know, but something's wrong. Something's not working. He said, my goodness, you, you didn't listen. The tithe is what you owe God. But the multiplication is on what you give on top of the tithe. I don't know, maybe some of you aren't familiar with this kind of a teaching, you know, but, but that, is what, <laughs> that, that is what I, so I said, okay, you know, in the meantime, I'm, I'm cycling to these poor people, I'm preaching to them. And then I found, but these poor people, they started to irritate me. They started to irritate me. And they, you know, because if they can just start to practice the tithing principle and sowing, then they can get out of their poverty. So all of a sudden, I started to see these people's sins. Now, I wasn't conscious of that. I was just conscious of, here's a person that's valuable to God, that God died for, and you know, that, that Jesus died for, and he wanted him to know that there's forgiveness of sins. I mean, that time I still preached, you know, um, the moment you confess your sins, you are forgiven. But I, I felt that God wants him to not live under the burden of sin and to feel free. And so these people started to irritate me. And I just felt that I'd get upset with these people. And that natural love that I had started to die. And I, I started to teach to them, listen, God is a God of principles. 
God's a God of the kingdom, and you need to follow these principles. And I was introducing them to these new gods that I was introduced to. And um, so I started to sow. So the, you know, whatever I would get, I would sow because that's on. And I know my Abba. You know, I was thinking, you know, uh, of course this can't work. How couldn't I have ever seen the principle of sowing and reaping? I mean, it's right there in the Bible. I read that verse so many times, I cannot believe that the Holy Spirit didn't show me that, that I should sow. But I just, you know what I did? I went and I confessed my sin. I said, Father, I, I want to I, I say I'm sorry that I sinned by not tithing and by not sowing. You know, what I've done is, you know, your kingdom could have actually advanced much more if I just obeyed these principles, but I didn't. And then I started to sow. And then a month or two later, nothing. At that time, I was giving away so much money that my wife, that time my girlfriend, had to steal food from the restaurant where she was working at to keep me alive. And then I felt so guilty because, man, I don't have food. I don't have a slice of bread. And then I, she would, at, at the beginning, just share her plate of food with me because she got a plate of food there. And, and now when she shares it, I mean, she's hungry. And I'm hungry. And then there came a time when she just got an extra plate of food for me. You know, and then I would think, oh, this is so wrong, you know. I can't actually eat that food because all these principles, and I need to obey, and that's actually not right. But I'm dying without food. Because remember, at that time, I already fasted two days a week. I was suffering. It, I think somebody from the world, if they looked at me, they would have thought I'm cursed, if you look at my life from the outside. For I was. I was under a curse. And here, um, what, what then happened is, I went to the pastor there, and I said to him, you need a, and I was really hurt in my heart and, and disappointed but now I, didn't, I don't want to say I'm disappointed in God how can you say you're disappointed in God he's then the creator of heaven and earth he's the one that gave his son how can you now, the one that saved you tell him, but you're not faithful you're not keeping to your part I've, I've kept to my part, you can never, your heart just wants to think that but then you just suppress it and say, I hope God didn't see that thought, you know I don't want to go to hell and I went to the pastor and I said to him, um, you know, pastor, this doesn't work. Because remember, I was in the top Bible school student. I was also preaching in the church at that time. I was a deacon in the church. And, uh, and, and I just went to the pastor. I said, this doesn't work. He says, tell me what you do. And I said to him, I do this and I do this and I do this. I, I tithe and I sow. He says, oh, man, I, I realize what is wrong. And then I thought, man, this is it now because I've, I've covered it all. And he said to me, the problem is that you've never named your seed. You should have named your seed. You weren't specific. And, I, and I, I, I'm just sharing from my life here. I hope you guys don't get upset. But this is what I said, you know. So I said to the pastor, this effing stuff doesn't work. <laughs> this is a lot of S. And I walked, I slammed the door and walked out of there. And as I walked out of there, I heard the obedience God, the principle God, the righteousness God, the kingdom God accusing me. Telling me, 
yeah, you know, it's behavior like this that, that, that kills the kingdom. You know, obedience is better than sacrifice. By this principle that you've just now used the F word and the S word, you have completely destroyed all the seed you've sown, and you'll have to start over. That's really what was going on in my heart. I got in my car, there was tears in my eyes, and I drove off there, and I heard the voice of my Abba saying to me, you never have to give me a cent to ever convince me to be good to you. And then I said to all those voices, and I also used profanity, I said, get out of my life. You know, and that was when peace started to come to my heart, you know. And um, I've just made a long story as short as possible. And I, and I started to, once that happened, I could start to love the poor. Because all of a sudden, I don't see poor and rich anymore. All of a sudden, I start to hear the voice of my Abba. I start to feel safe again. And I could start to see the Scripture for what it is. And that's what I want to talk about tonight. This is just an introduction. But the danger, the danger of tithing. It's very dangerous to believe that if you tithe, then God's going to bless you. Because the human heart has not been designed to believe in a person that will give his son for free, that will give his kingdom for free, that will give his Holy Spirit for free, but he is so uptight about money that he sits on a box of money in heaven, and before you don't give him something, he will not give you a cent. Because the human heart says that this guy, a person that does that, loves money more than his own son. So how would he love you? And what happens in the subconscious mind, or the, the, the best is the subconscious mind, or the heart of a person is, your heart closes to that person, and he says, don't trust, don't trust. That's not a safe place. And you start to feel pain. You start to feel hurt. And all of a sudden, you're alone. And you've got to now live your own life based on your own works. The Scripture says here, and this talks about preachers that preached. And, and Paul warned Timothy, he says, But they that want to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and to many foolish and hurtful lusts. Um, you know, that draws men into destruction, for the love of money is the root of all evil. Now let me explain that. The love of money. That word love there is the Greek word phileo. The word phileo means friend. It also talks about the friend of the bridegroom. Now, the friend of the bridegroom was the person that would basically go to the bride on behalf of the bridegroom and ask the bride's hand in marriage for the bridegroom. And then he would do all the arrangements concerning the marriage and seal the deal for them. That's what it, what it actually is about, called the friend. So he says here, when money seals the deal for you on your salvation... You've made money your friend. In other words, if you say, I am the saved and I'm the blessed of God, and you say, because I prosper, then you've made money your friend and money seals the deal for you. Where Jesus says, I'm your friend. I seal the deal on your salvation. Neither money nor health nor any form of prosperity nor any form of breakthrough seals the deal for you. Jesus seals the deal. The fact that he rose in, in, in an incorruptible human flesh and is seated at the right hand of the Father in human form, that's supposed to seal the deal for you in the depth of your heart. 
Okay, so what seals the deal for you? Nani? And this is what he's actually talking about, because he was talking about Judaism. The Jews believed, according to Deuteronomy 28, that if you obey all the laws, you will prosper. You'll be very rich. And then, should a person be poor, then they would say he's disobedient and he's got sin in his life. And because he's got sin in his life, that's why he's got a curse upon him. So what everybody wanted was, I want to be rich. Why? Because that would be the blessing. That would be the sign of obedience. That would be the sign of, of, of that would seal the deal. You know, like, okay, I obey all these verses. I obey all the laws. And when I obey them, the seal that God would put upon my life that says, obedient, accepted, would be financial prosperity. And that's where the whole thing comes from. You know, in Judaism, that's where it comes from and was brought over into Christianity. Paul fought it. James fought it. James said, why are you guys loving the rich so much? It's because you are in the flesh. Flesh means the Jewish system by which you believe that prosperity equals blessing. I became fleshly when I started to think of the tithing system wherein I do to receive from God. That's why I started to see the rich and discard the poor. And what happened was that message robbed me from the voice of my Abba, and it robbed me from the very nature of God that was in my life and manifesting in my life. And I started to become a person that's frustrated, that questioned God, that don't know why things work, that became sin conscious, that looked at the sins of others, that looked at my own sin, always investigating. I became devil conscious, curse conscious. I became messed up through the money teaching, the tithing thing. So here we see, you know, that the love of money is the root of all evil. So the moment I say, money seals the deal for me, then it becomes the root of all evil. Let me explain the word evil. Evil, evil is actually, um, it's correctly translated, but the old English word for evil, and the, our word evil doesn't mean the same. As what I would say when I see a beautiful sunset, you know, I would say, man, that is beautiful. You'll find somebody else, a teenager, will say, that is wicked. A different word for the very same thing. And the very same thing here with the word evil. Um, evil actually means to be full of labor or hard work. So he says, when you think money seals the deal for you on your salvation, it will be the root from where all your hard work starts, wherein you try to get a smile on God's face so that he can bless you. And you'll become, you know, and, and look at all the evil that came to my life. And the fruit of the evil, I started to see the honor the rich and discard the poor. I started to think, well, this rich guy's got the key, let me find out. And, I, and, and I, my life became full of labor and turmoil because of this. So that's what that verse says. Now, I don't have, it would have been nice if I had like three, four sessions to teach on this. But, you know, one of the main things about the tithe, let's go and look at the tithe um, in, 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 um, and where it comes from. The first tithe mentioned in the Bible is where Abraham tithed to Melchizedek. That is in Genesis, um, uh, uh, that, that's in Genesis, I think it's 14, 15, 14. Abraham came and he paid a tithe to Melchizedek. Now what, what I taught and what I also thought and what I was taught was that Abraham paid a tithe to Melchizedek 
long before the law was given. And because it was before the law was given, it was part of grace. So, um, because it was before the law, we could get the law, the Ten Commandments and the Levitical laws, wherein it was, uh, um, where you, and you had to give your tithe every year, and every third year, certain things had to happen, and Malachi 3, those, those laws were fulfilled in Christ, is what I've been taught. But the principle that was prior to the law, where Abraham paid a tithe to Melchizedek, because it was before the law, it was under the dispensation of grace. And now we get the law, and now we are in grace again. So what was true there is true here. It, because it was prior to the law, it, was, it did not die in the cross. Therefore, we still need a tithe to the church today. I think that's the biggest lie that you can ever find. It's the, it, it, it's the most absurd way that I've ever seen in which you can ever interpret Scripture. It's got no logic to it whatsoever. Uh, 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 I think a grade two can have a better logic, you know, on, on to interpret Scripture like that. Because if we say that everything before the law was grace, why did God mess everything up? And then gives his, give his son to, to, to correct. I mean, grace was already there. There was no need for Jesus to come after Adam sinned. You know, because there was grace. Even unto Abraham, there was grace. The flood and everybody that died with only eight, um, you know, eight remaining, that was grace. It's the grace of God. And here... We say what's true there is true now. But you know, a very interesting thing, what was also before the law is Abraham sacrificed animals. Abraham also, also went to the fields of Mamre and built a shrine to El, which was just called God. And he went to there where they built all their altars to the different gods because it was at a certain kind of a tree. I don't know what the English word is, but in Afrikaans it's a terpentine. It's a certain kind of a tree, which the people of that time, the Amalekites, believed that it had certain powers, like a magic power, so that you can connect with the gods. Abraham went there, and he built his altar to God there because of these trees, because he could then magically connect with God. Well, that was also before the law. So let's find some... New Age crystals, and let's build our shrine there, because it was before the law. And then he sacrificed animals there. You know, before the law, God told Abraham, take an animal, cut it into pieces, and I will come and I will walk, walk there. So would that be okay? Let's take a cow, slaughter it. and I mean, that was before the law. Plus, Abraham was circumcised before the law. We say, oh, no, 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 circumcision was dealt with in the cross. But not the tithe. Now, what has to be you know, in your mind when you say that? When, when you lose logic to the point that you can say, no, no, money, must, m money comes through, but there's something wrong in your heart. And I'm not saying the person is bad. I'm just saying we got blinded by a certain system. Now, what happened in Abraham, let me explain to you the Abrahamic tithe. The Abrahamic tithe is actually connected to 2 Kings 8, wherein um, Abraham came and, and, and paid the kingly tithe. Now, in that time, the kingly tithe was a tithe that was given to the king as part of the Babylonian tax system, 
when you honored your king. Now, Abraham lived in the fields of Mamre, uh, Amalekite. So, w which means that, um, you know, and, and that's, that was mentioned in the Bible. And this guy's name was Mamre. So, for Abraham, if he lived in the fields of Mamre, it means Mamre was a king, and he lived in his fields. So, should he get any gain, especially the spoils of war, he had to give 10% of that to the Amalekite king, Mamre. He lived in the fields of Mamre, or to the king that was above him. He had to uh, uh, pay his tax. And if he didn't do that, you came under the curse of the king. He would kill you. Because you are saying, especially the spoils of war. Because if you went with your own soldiers, and you live in a king's place, and you go and make war in another place, and you come back with the spoils, and you say, well, I'm not paying. I've just conquered another king. And I'm not paying homage to my king. What does that mean? That means you can overthrow. You, you, you might want to overthrow his kingdom. So not giving that 10% was dangerous. So here Abraham comes. He goes and makes war. He comes back. When he comes back, he meets another king on the way back. And this is the king of Salem, where we get the word Jerusalem from. His name is Melchizedek. And Melchizedek was called the priest of the Most High God. And then Melchizedek came to him, and he was just passing through his land, and still had like four, four days travel, five days travel to get to where he actually stays. And he says, man, I, and this is how I see it, you must be tired or something. Let me just come to you and bless you. And so he came, and he saw him coming through his land, and he stopped him. And he said to him, you know, Abraham, I just want to bless you. I want to say that God blessed you with this blessing that you've just got. You know, he gave you, made you conquer in this war. And I want to bless you with bread and with wine. So what is he actually saying? He is saying that you are blessed because of God. Why? In the bread and the wine, which is the body and the blood of Jesus. He says, you have been blessed. Why? Because of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And then Abraham said, let me give you the, let me, let me give you the 10%. So what was understood by, the, by, the, by the, the people of that time? Abraham was saying, you know what? That Mamre, he's not my king anymore. This guy's my king. I acknowledge him as king. And that is the Abrahamic tithe. The Abrahamic tithe was just where you said, fulfilled in the New Testament, is where you come to the knowledge that Jesus says, you are blessed because of what God has done. He has already given you everything in His body and in His blood. And the Abrahamic tithe is fulfilled in this sense where you say, Jesus, you are my Lord. That's it. That's the Abrahamic tithe. Then, you know, when we go to Leviticus, let us read Leviticus quickly, and we're going to look at the tithe that, that is in Malachi, and then we'll talk about sowing and reaping. Leviticus. Sorry, that's Deuteronomy 14, 21 or 22. Listen to this. I'm going to explain. You know, when we interpret Scripture, there's a basic place, basic way in which we need to interpret it. It has to point to Jesus. Jesus comes in Psalm 40. And this is a, a, a prophetic prayer. He basically prays and he says, Father, now just think of this. Jesus was born, you know, he was a baby. He grew up. His mommy said to him, his mommy had to say to him, you know, Jesus, your daddy is not Joseph. 
Your daddy is God. And he believed his mommy. He believed Mary. And then he went to the temple and he read the book that comes from his daddy. And it was about his daddy's business at the temple. And he wanted to learn more about his daddy. And Psalm 40 talks about what I call the aha moment in Jesus' life. Where Jesus got a revelation. But you, you must remember when he was two years of age, he didn't know what was 250,000 times 320,000. He had to learn. He was a normal human that had to learn, that had to live by faith and the persuasion of his heart. And here he comes and he's busy, busy with his father's business and one of his, what I call, uh, uh, um, inner room prayers is, is, is like the bedroom prayer where you would be there alone in your closet, the Bible talks about. You know, that prayer was jotted down uh, prophetically already in Psalm 40. Now, I think Jesus, and it's even like that in the Bible, he had to have an issue with his father in this sense. Remember, he's full of love. He is the righteousness of God. And here he sees his dad has got a big issue with animals. And they just get slaughtered all the time. You know, we... <laughs> and he had to think, God, what is, Father, what's your issue with these animals? Why do you want this blood to flow? Why do you want these, these sacrifices every year? Why do you want it all the time? And then one day he got a revelation. In Psalm 40, it's jotted down. And he says, oh, you've opened my ears. You've opened my eyes. You don't want sacrifices. These things speak of me. In the volume or in the heading or in the title of the book, it's written about me. These things talk about me. That means the animal sacrifices talks about me. It talks about all the, all, all the, the rituals and all those kind of things. talks about Jesus. So when Jesus read the Old Testament, when he read Malachi 3, when he read Deuteronomy 14 from verse 21, when he read about the animal sacrifice, when he read about the first fruit offering, when he read about all those things, he said, these things speak about me. In the volume of the book, it's written about me. Let me explain to you volume quickly. And this is going to change your whole view, whole view on the Old Testament. Just this one thing is going to shock your world. Imagine I drive, you know, into... Um, I drive into Washington, D.C. I mean, I landed there. I, I get a rental car. I drive in, into Washington, D.C. And at the first house I see, I stop there. I get out. I open the mailbox. I take the mail out. I open it up. And I read there. And I start to cry. Because I owe the IRS $50,000. It would be called insanity. Because I live in South Africa. I'm at the wrong house. It's not my post box and it's not my mail. I'm reading somebody else's mail and I'm assigning it to my name. Because if you take a letter and it's addressed to, that's what it means in the Hebrew there, in the volume of the book, it's written about Jesus. That, what he was saying is, this Old Testament with all its laws and its sacrifices is addressed to me. It talks about me. It talk, I must die if Jesus is the Lamb, and, it, and the Old Testament talks about the Lamb, if, if Jesus, then Jesus is the first fruit offering, then Jesus is the sin offering, then Jesus is the scapegoat, then Jesus is the tithe. 
Because in the volume of the book, it's written about him. Now, let us just look at this tithe. And if we want to take the Old Testament tithe and apply it into the New, let us just look at what the tithe really was. It says here, you shall, this is verse 22, you shall truly tithe all the increase of your seed that the field brings forth year by year. And you shall eat, therefore, uh, and you shall eat before the Lord your God in the place which he shall choose to put his name there, the tithe of your corn, of your wine, of your oil, and of the firstling of your herd, and of the flock, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. So what will he do with the tithe? The Bible says you will take a tithe of everything, and then you'll go with this tithe. Let's say this is the tithe. You know, it's a piece of meat, or it is grain, or whatever. And you'll take this tithe to the place that the Lord your God has shown you, and then you will eat the tithe right there where the Lord your God has shown you. So what is the tithe? It is what you had to eat. I mean, that's what's written there. Let's read on. And if the way or the, the temple be too far for you, so that you are not able to carry it, because imagine now you've got a massive crop. Now, what are you going to do with all that? If it's too far to carry, what will you do with it? It says, um, if it's too far from you, you shall... When the Lord God has blessed you, then you shall turn, verse 25, it into money and bind the money in your hand. This is a tithe money now. And you shall go unto the place which the Lord your God shall choose, and you shall be bestow that money. Now listen to what the Bible says they had to do with the tithe money. You will bestow that money for whatsoever your soul lusts after, for oxen, for sheep, or for wine, or for strong drink, or for whatsoever your soul desires, and you shall eat there before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice, you and your household. Now think of that. I haven't heard that in church. I've never heard that on television. Because what is it saying here? You know, it is saying that, um, that the tithe was something you had to eat, so that you can remember that God has blessed you. What happens to Abraham? Abraham, God has blessed you. Eat this. And what is that what he had to eat? Bread and wine. And who provided that bread and wine? Melchizedek. Who was Melchizedek? He was the high priest of the Most High God. Who's the high priest, our high priest of the Most High God? It's Jesus. So what happens? The Father has blessed us, and now He comes and He says, I provide to you bread and wine, so eat this and remember that I've blessed you. Okay? And what do we do when we see that? We acknowledge Him as King. How? You believe with your heart and you confess with your mouth. Simple. The tithe here was, was clearly fulfilled in Jesus Christ. It was what you had to eat in remembrance of God that God has, to, has blessed you. You see clearly that you couldn't give the 10% of the money you know, to the priest. It's not what's written there. It was never money. It always had to be food because God wanted us to eat something. And think of him. And now it goes on. And it, Now that you had to do every year. And then the, every third year, you had to do the following. Um, 
It says, and at the end of three years, you shall bring forth the tithe of everything, and you will lay it at your gates. In other words, you know those days, if you go to, I like when you go to Germany, they've still got these old cities. I've been there last year, and they've got the city wall, you know, and now the city has expanded outside the walls, but you still get the city wall, and you get the gates of the wall. So what happens is, he says, you'll take your tithe, and then you'll put it outside the gate. Okay? Every third year. Not every year, every third year. You'll put it outside the gate. Why? And the Levite, because he has no inheritance, the stranger, the fatherless, the widow, which are within your gate, shall come and they shall eat and be satisfied that the Lord thy God might bless thee and your work, and the work of your hand. So what does he say here? He says, every third year. Now remember, Jesus reads this now. Okay, my Abba, these things talks about me. What, will you, what, what, what must I do? No, this is what, what you must do. You must, you know, basically what, what must happen there, there must be meat that could be, that these people can eat thinking that they've been blessed, okay? That meat must be there. And then every third year, the meat must be outside of the gates. Every third year. In the third year of Jesus' ministry, outside of the gates of the city, he was crucified. And he provided meat for those who couldn't by their own works, you know, provide for themselves, who had no inheritance and who had nothing. And he provided meat in the third year outside of the gates. <laughs> we've taken this beautiful message and we've, we've put it into money because of our worry that our Abba cannot provide for us. The deepest teaching on money, the greatest revelation on money was was taught by the Master Himself. Matthew 6. And He said, Look at the birds of the air. And I use my own words. They don't follow the principle of sowing and reaping. Yet your Heavenly Father feeds them. Mm, isn't that beautiful? So, first seek my kingdom. What is the kingdom of God? righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Have a longing and a desire to know how righteous you are, how at peace you are, and how joyful the Father is about you. These money things is a side issue. It shall be provided for. Because you've got an Abba that knows your every need. Don't go around like the heathen, you know, that believes I don't have an Abba, that worries all the time, what will I have... Hey, you've got an Abba. I remember I was always stressing about money. And then one day my wife comes to me and she says to me, Listen, God has provided for us now for five years with your stress. When are you going to stop the stress? Even in your unbelief and stress, we still eat, we still have a car, we still live in a place. So when are you now going to stop the stress? Because God has always provided and He will always provide. So in all my unbelief, he still cared for me, you know. So here we see Jesus, you know, and how he would read this verse and how it applies to him. Now, we, I mean, the very same thing. So we see the context here of what the tithe is. The tithe is what you had to eat in remembrance of God. The tithe is what Jesus would say, you know, about, um, you know, uh, he, it would be basically the meat that you had to eat in remembrance of God. Let's go to Malachi 3 quickly. And we're going to look at um, sowing and reaping. I don't want you guys 
you know, the dangers of, 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 of the tithing teaching outside of seeing Jesus in it brings your heart to a place where it's very unsafe, where who your Abba is will die in your heart and who you really are will die. Seeing tithing outside of, outside of being fulfilled by Jesus Christ will kill you. It will kill you. It will destroy your life. You know, I'm, I'm almost finished with a book on this. And I, I've got about another 40, 50 pages to do. I've done 200 already. It, it, it will, I, I believe, I say, Lord, I want this book to flood the, flood the earth that people can be set free. Because as long as your heart is bound in this money thing, it blurs your vision. Your heart cannot believe that God is good. And I, I tell you, what I believe in my heart is, unless we see true freedom coming in the area of finances, because it is such, makes up such a large part of our life, like you've said, you know, when we hear many other teachings, even if when we see Scripture on that we are the righteousness of God, we have been made holy by His sacrifice, that He loves us, your heart will not want to grab that. Because you, from the morning until the evening and everything you think about, where you live, what, where you stay, what clothes you wear, who your friends are, who your children hang out with, is all determined by how much money you have. So if the enemy could keep you in bondage in some area, he will say, listen, I don't have to keep them in bondage in the area of prayer because they only pray once a month anyway. So I'll keep them in the area of, of, of I'll keep them bound in the area of money because they use that every second of the day. And if I can get them bound in the area of money, their heart will never believe anything else. It will be an excitement of the mind. Oh, God loves me. God cares for me. But you will not find that your heart says, I'm resting. You will not find that true rest in your heart. Because God, in the area of the thing that you need the most, that determines your life in this world, is legalistic. put on Facebook just before I came here, I put a challenge out there. And I, like I said, I don't want to, I'm not against preachers. I'm a preacher myself, but I put it out there. I said to all preachers or whosoever want, give me one scripture in the Bible, the whole Bible, not just the New Testament. One verse that states that 10% of your money had to go to the local church. There is not one. I had nobody bring a verse. Not one, for there is not such a verse. Yet it is the foundation from where all income is in the church. You must bring your tithe. If you don't bring your tithe, you're cursed. What a thing to say. There's not even a verse for it, but you will declare without a verse, without Jesus ever preaching it, without the Apostle Paul ever, ever, ever preaching it, you'll declare to somebody that Jesus paid for, that's loved by God, that the very God that loves you curses you if you don't bring this money, but there's not even such a verse. There's not even a verse that you must do it. There's not even a verse that says you'll be cursed if you don't do it. Bring money to the church. There's not such a verse. Nowhere in the Bible. There's one that can be twisted in the Old Testament, which is Malachi 3, and let's read it. Malachi 3 talks about Jesus, and the reason why I say it talks about Jesus, it starts in verse 1, and it says, Behold, I sent my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come, suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant, um, whom you delight in. Behold, he shall come, says the Lord of hosts. So what he says here, he says, I will send my messenger before to prepare the way. 
Okay? And the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come. So what he says here is, he says, I'll send a messenger before the Lord. Who was this messenger that prepared the way for Jesus? John the Baptist. Okay, so Malachi 3 talks now about John the Baptist. He says, John the Baptist will come and he will prepare the way. Jesus, John the Baptist said, I'm the messenger. I'm the one that prepares the way. He says, and as he prepares the way, the Lord will suddenly come. And what he will do is, he will end the old priesthood and he will bring in a new priesthood. And if you read the whole, I don't have time to read all ten verses, um, he basically says that you have corrupted the priesthood. You've come and presented um, the priesthood in a way which is not right. And then they said, what he actually said is, you've robbed me and you've, you've robbed these people. They said, where? He says, in the tithe. He says, how can you rob God and rob the nation? You know what it says there? He actually wrote, writes to the priest. He says, you have robbed me. Even this whole nation. So what he's saying is, you've robbed, you as priests robbed me, and you've robbed the whole nation. Of what? Of the tithe. So you've robbed the people of the tithe. And you've robbed God of the tithe. So what does that mean? And he goes on, and then, so, so, so here Jesus reads this. He says, okay, there will be a messenger before me. Father, who will be this? No, this will be John the Baptist. He's preaching there in the Jordan River, okay? He's preparing the way before you. And you will then come. You know, he's preparing the way. Then you will come and what you will do is you will end the Levitical priesthood and you'll bring in something new. Father, why must I end this? No, my son, what they are doing is they, they in the type and the shadow, what they are doing is they are stealing the tithes from the people. They are basically, as priests, abusing the tithe system to just benefit themselves and they're robbing the people because the people come now to the, the people want to go and eat in the remembrance of God then the, the, then the Levite says no give it to me so what's happening there's no more meat in the house of God who's the house of God the people there's no more meat that they can eat in the remembrance of God and the type in the shadow is actually saying they are robbing the people from salvation because Jesus is the meat so Malachi 3, verse 10 says there, Bring ye all the tithe into the storehouse, that there can be meat in my house. And then he says, Prove me herewith. Now remember, this is written to Jesus. The Father says to Jesus, Jesus, bring now meat to the storehouse. Bring something that these people can eat in remembrance of me. And then the Father says to the Son, Prove me, Son. Prove me herewith. If I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing, that there will not be enough people that can receive this blessing that I pour out through you. And even in the Hebrew, if you study it, when it says there, bring ye all the tithe, that word ye in the Hebrew just consists out of two characters. It's the first letter and the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet, Aleph and Tav. Aleph in the Greek is is Alpha, Tau is Omega. So he says, Alpha, Omega, bring all the tithe into the storehouse. Everything that these people would ever need to eat. Alpha, Omega, then Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. So you go, and that word was used 7,000 times in the, uh, uh, in the Old Testament and only translated a few times because they didn't even know what it means. The Hebrews, Hebrew rabbis says that that is an omen 
a sign of a futuristic event. So, Aleph Tav, this sign of, imagine you just write a letter, and in the middle of nowhere, you just write AZ. And then you write again, and then you write AZ. And you write again, and then Jesus reads it, and his Abba says to him, you know that AZ? That's a sign. It's a, the sign of a futuristic event. It talks about you. And then it says, he reads, he says, bring AZ. Oh, let me bring the meat to the storehouse. And prove me herewith, if I will not open you, that word you, AZ again. So Jesus, my son, bring your body to my storehouse, to my people. And prove me herewith, if I will not open you, Jesus, the Elephant, I will open you. Where was Jesus opened? When the veil was torn upon the cross. The, the window of heaven was Christ. We couldn't see into heaven. But when he was torn upon the cross, the most holy place, the veil was torn from top to bottom, and we could look into heaven. Prove me herewith. Prove me, my son. I will open your body, and I will pour out heaven on my people. And the curse that rests upon the people will be broken if you can just provide them with some meat that they can eat. Jesus says, you say, no, that cannot be. Jesus says, my flesh is meat indeed. Didn't he say that in John 6? He said, my flesh is meat indeed. If we can eat that flesh, the moment we say, God has already blessed me with everything, while I was still living under, uh, in, in, under un, you know, in the fields of Mamre, with my wrong shrine, with all my wrong beliefs, while I was still living there, and I was in a covenant with, with, with Sidr Laomer, Sidr Laomer actually talks about something filthy. Abraham, while in a covenant with something filthy, you know, and he goes and makes war, God blesses him while he's in his sin. And then he comes and he says, you know, Melchizedek says, Abraham, blessed are you. But he's still sinning. He's in a covenant with sin. But God says, blessed are you. Eat this. <laughs> and the very next chapter, you know, Abraham got a bit, oh my goodness, you know, what have I done? I gave a tithe to this king. And what will happen now? Then God says, Abraham, don't be afraid. I am your exceeding great reward. You've inherited me. <laughs> Isn't that? We've taken this beautiful message and we've twisted it into something that kills people. I feel very sorry. You know, and, I, and, and if pastors are listening to this message, I want to tell you, I don't want to say I'm something or whatever, but I want to tell you leaders that listen to this and I've got a lot of people listening to my stuff on Facebook and on my website. If you're a leader and you're listening to this, you've got time now to accept this and start to preach it in your church. Because if this comes to your church, your people will leave your church. They will not want to listen to you anymore. They're going to be tired of you. They're going to find fault. And if you continue after they've heard this and preach this, you're going to say that I've split your church. I've never split your church. It's you continuing in your legalism that is bringing harm to your people and your church, and they will. The, the, the Bible says that she, the sheep knows the voice, and they will, will not follow a stranger. So when the, the true message comes in the area of finances, you'll find people follow it. So repent now, grab it now, 
ask God to help you to understand this, to bring faith to your heart, because I'm, I'm, I'm prophetically warning, and I'm saying that th this tree of unrighteousness, the axe is at the root. And God is chopping this out. Even if I, I want to warn even grace preachers that with, with, I don't care how big your church is, if you preach this, you're going to suffer when this truth comes out. <laughs> I'm very serious in saying this. Because after you've heard this, you're spoiled. <laughs> Come on. Freedom. I've tasted freedom. Father, thank you for revealing this. This was always there. It was always the truth. Jesus is your type. He is the meat that had to come to the storehouse. That you can eat it in remembrance of, I am already blessed. In this body and in this blood. And as you eat that body and that blood, you find the curse of, I work hard to bless my Father. I must follow five principles to get the principle God to smile, to get the kingdom God just so that He can build His kingdom, the obedience God satisfied, and all these gods. And all these gods are so dependent on your ability, otherwise they cannot survive. I want to introduce you to your Abba, man. The one that's always loved you. So what about giving then in the church? What about, um, how do we run a church? You know what I teach my people in my church? I say to them, the way we run church today was not even in the New Testament. That doesn't mean we don't have to do it. If, and this is what I say to my people. I said, we've got a venue about this size. And I said to them, this venue costs money. And if you like to gather like this, let us just club together and just pay this. That's all. I mean, how difficult do you want it? And I said, if you don't want this, I mean, let us just, who of you doesn't want this? If you don't want this, this is fine. We can send you a DVD and you can have meeting at your house. That's okay. So then the people that do come there, they want they want air conditioning, and they want lights, and they want it to record it, they want it on the web, they want me to study, you know, and teach them these things, so they say, let me just contribute, I feel I want to, and then they do it, and then that's the end of the thing, <laughs> isn't that, that is it, and what happens is, we find this generosity, once we get these things out of the way, we find who we really are, and we find generosity rise up in my heart. I've, I've had all kinds of generosity rise up in my heart. Man, I, I, there, was a, there was a guy, a friend of mine, you know, that went on to drugs, and he just lost, he supported my ministry for, for some years, and he, he gave me some good support. But then he went on to drugs, and he stopped his support, went bankrupt, and basically brought, um, I, I don't want him even to hear this message, because he doesn't know this, but what actually happened was, my name was slandered in town because of me. I don't want him ever to hear this because it, it will just bring condemnation to his heart. People came to me and said, why did you even bring this guy to our town? You know, he was beating people up. He was even beating two ladies up. And, you know, he was in court and then he was found guilty and, you know, everything. And he was now, you know, my good friend. 
I said to him, come to my town. I mean, he always supported me. Come to my town. And then he brought all of that. And I was so, after some years, I got so upset. And look at this guy. And then one day I said to my wife, I mean, this was now, I f there's no reason to give this man a cent. He slandered the grace message through his life. He's basically everything I try to preach. People was upset with me because they say I condone his lifestyle, which I don't. You know, I was thinking, oh, this guy. And I, I, said, I said, you know, I just felt the generosity. I said to my wife, we're going to buy a new car, you know, another car. Why don't we just give him our car? And I gave him my car. And other people say, you're crazy. But, I, I, you know, later on I thought about it. I felt, you know, what was born in me. I could feel what it felt like in the heart of God to look at humans while they are in their sin and love them so much, not taking their sins into account, not imputing their trespasses against them, and actually giving them something that's of great value. <laughs> I start to feel what it feels like to have God live in me. Whoa, hallelujah! You find the highest quality of integrity coming to your heart. I was in, um, in a... In a I'm not going to name the names. People might listen to this message. I was in a church, and uh, after I preached, the people were so happy. I preached on the love of God, and they said, let us sow into Bertie's life. You know, and they took the money up and everything, and I said, oh, Lord, I don't even believe in sowing and reaping. And now these people want to sow into my life. <sighs> what am I going to do? You know, I just felt in my heart, it was Mother's Day. I felt in my heart, who's the oldest lady here? Just stand up. You stood up. I said, the offering is yours. I don't know. I mean, there could have been $5,000 check in that thing. Give it to the lady. I don't even want to know how much money it is because you cannot sow into my life. I don't believe in that. I, we, we call that Hagar. You know, Abraham had, 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 had Sarah, and then when it didn't work with Sarah, you know, even if God promised, then he thought, well, at least let me have Hagar. Now, there's a lot of, I don't even want to teach about what actually happened there. It's a proof that they were under the Babylonian tax system, which included the tithe. That's why they could do that, because under that law, it was, it, it was a command and a law that said, if the wife cannot bear a child in 10 years, then the wife can give her servant to bear children, but that children would then actually belong to the wife. She will bear children for her, which was also part of the tax system. You know, that's part of those laws. There we can see that they were obeying those laws. Now, that's all in my book, but... Uh, um, when, when, when you start to see this, I say, I can't receive that, that because it's like Hagar funding my ministry. I don't need Hagar to buy me a shirt. I don't need, need Hagar to buy me a plane ticket. Because I've got an Abba that can buy my plane ticket. For me. And there are people that God can work generosity in their hearts, you know, that can then, because they want to. The Bible says the gift is accepted as long as what is willing. That's what Paul said. If I see that this, this is grudgingly, grudgingly mean that, man, I, I'm giving this with a heavy heart, you know, because I'm scared. Paul says, then I can't receive it. But what if your ministry is then small? Well, what is, why must everything be big? <laughs> big, why, am I, why big? What about good? What about life-giving? 
Isn't that better? Big but deadly. I, I, I don't know. I'm not saying we cannot have big. But let's have, let God make the thing big. And then it will be effortless. Amen. Jesus is your tithe. He's the one that provides for you. He's the one that cares for you. Amen. Let me see if I can just end this off. There are so many other verses. You might ask me, what about sowing and reaping? And if you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly and all of that. Man, it's going to take me another 30 minutes to explain those verses. But what it actually boils down to is, when we give and when we are generous, the view that others have of us is that we are generous. That's what Paul was actually saying. He came in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 1. He says, listen guys in Corinth, there are poor churches in Macedonia. And these people are giving generously to the poor people in Jerusalem because you people in Corinth said, we want to give. And when they heard that you guys want to give, then they thought, man, we want to be in on this giving thing because they just had generosity rise up in their heart. And now you promised a year ago, this is Second Corinthians 8 and 9. I'm just throwing it in here quickly if you want to go and do a study. Um, and then he says, you guys promised, but you're not keeping your promise. So what these people are going to think about you is going to be very bad. So please make sure that you keep your promise so that you can reap a good report from the people that, and on what they're going to think about you. So if you just give a little bit, because you've promised, they're going to think a little bit of good about you. But if you give bountifully, they will think a lot of good of you and you will reap a lot of praise in the hearts of other people towards God. Now I'm, I just, you know, you, you can go verse by verse, but that's what's in there. You can go onto my website just type in the search money and you'll get all the teachings I've got about money which touch basically every verse um, that has ever been used to teach tithing and sowing and reaping and I explain it in, the, in, the, in, in grace. I'm ending off with this testimony. Um, my wife and I, and, I, and this is just a testimony of, of God's provision and the, what grace can really do in somebody's heart and how effortless it can be. I was in a, in a church where I was really, um, I think some of you will understand that I can be persecuted for what I preach. So, <clears throat> so I, was, <laughs> I was persecuted a bit, you know, for what I preach. And, and um, I planted a church in that area, gave the church over, and still lived there. And there was one guy that really didn't like me, and he was making life difficult. And, but I was content. We, we lived there, we said, well, that's his problem, you know. And, but he had a lot of power. He almost owned the town. A really rich. I mean, that guy's his business's turnover was 140 million dollars. That's big. That's that's a heavyweight in a town with 5,000 people. Okay, so he's a heavyweight. He owns the town. So, um, and he had, he was also a, a very charismatic guy and an influential guy. A lot of people liked him, and he he had his way of of enforcing his will onto people. And, um, but with me, once you've set free, that person cannot do it to you. You know, so, um, and my wife and I said, we want to move from that town. After now living there for like four, four years or five years, we said, we want to move and we've always rented a house and we wanted our own house. So, I believe God works in me to will and to do. So, the way I know what God wants for me is inside my will. 
So I said, she said to me, I want my own house. I said to her, you know what, I don't have money to buy your house, but we know we've got a father. So let us just tell him that we want the house. So I said, well, we'll do it tomorrow. I was busy, and the next day we took the map of South Africa, and we just said, if we move, let us now move once to the place where we dream to live. And we took the map, and we start, We said, number one, do we want to li live in the middle of the country or at the close to the ocean? And we want to live close to the ocean. So we started at the eastern side of the top, so they figured you could go right around, and we, we just talked about the different towns. And when we talk, I believe God is there with us, you know? And He talks with us, and He works by His will in us, and we discuss this thing. And as we discussed it, we came down to the Cape area, Cape Town area, and we felt, well, that really feels good. But I don't want to live in a city. I want to live in a small town. But I don't want to live far from the city because I'm, I'm always a, need an airport. So, okay, it must be close to Cape Town there. And we went up to the west coast and beautiful area there. And we said, well, we want to live in this, uh, 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 we call it the Swartland, which is a, a farming community there with the small towns. And we want to live there. And we named the place. We said we want to live in the Malmesbury, Mariasburg area. That's where we want to live. And we, we were just discussing that, and then we said, Father, you hear what, what we've said here. Th that's what we want. Amen. And we closed the, the map, and that's it. Okay? So we continue with our life. I mean, we wanted to move. We didn't even, even have money to move to another house in town. <laughs> what about now? Because where we lived, we lived for free. And because I didn't have to pay rent and everything, I used all that money to go on to television. I want to preach this grace message, you know. So, um, uh, um, three days later, the phone rings. A guy that, I, that was with me in university, he phones me. He says, man, you know, I've listened to a CD of yours, and you've really blessed me. And then I had a dream. And... Um, I want to buy your house. <laughs> I said, oh my goodness. Uh, you know, I said, thank you. And I put the phone down. <laughs> that, that's, that, that's it. I was so shocked. I want to buy your house. Oh, good. Okay. Next day, I phoned him again. I said, listen, man, I was shocked. I didn't want to be rude to you that I just put the phone down, but this is, this is what we actually prayed. This was what was going on. And then he was so happy. He says, man, this is such a confirmation. I'm so happy. And what... Grace brings, and when you know God is your abbot, brings a very high level of, uh, um, I don't know what to, say, what, what to call it, uh, integrity. So I just felt, you know, many people make promises, and if they make a promise, sometimes after a month, they feel, man, I don't know if I want to keep that promise again. So I said to my wife, let us just wait. Because if he buys this house, because I can quickly go and pick one and then he force him into it before he changes his mind, but then it's not peaceful. And I anyway have an Abba, Abba that can provide for me, so if I have my own house or not, I'm anyway happy because he's my joy. And um, six months later, he calls me again. He says, listen, do you still want the house? I want to buy your house. I said to my wife, I'm, I'm driving down. And we drove down. It was so nice. You know, my wife, she likes old stuff, you know, and antiques and stuff. So we walked into this house. Uh, I think it was built in nine, uh, 1900. 
and there's a brick house with these thick walls like this. Everything 100% restored, uh, hardwood floors, windows beautiful. And um, I said to the guy, I want this house. And then he says, well, then it's yours. And he bought me the house, and I'm living there today. You know, so uh, uh, that kind of provision is available, you know, for us. And to him, it was effortless, and to me, it was effortless. He didn't sow the house into my life to get a, get a, get a, get a reward. He just said to me, he says, Bertie, if you stop, I feel I want to do this. If you stop to preach today and go into business, this is your house. Absolute freedom. So I want to do God loves you. God cares for you. Let us not sow towards the flesh or the law system, but let us sow our life towards the spirit, which is the gospel of grace, so that we can reap life. Can I just pray for you, for your finances, and, and just an understanding about this? Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you that I could just preach this message. If I can just share my heart with you, I really want this message as much as you to go all over the world and that people can be free. Thank you for doing that, Father. I don't have to convince you of that. I'm just saying I'm agreeing with you. That is that it will be so. And I want to pray for these people. Father, you see the situation that they are in. Maybe some of them are just stressed out financially. Maybe some of them as tonight for the first time in their life felt that blink of generosity. Thank you for freedom that can be theirs. I thank you, Lord, that as the law gets taken out of the way, it makes room for your character, your generosity, your peace. It makes room, not just for generosity, but the heart will allow them to feel safe in any and every area of their life concerning your message of grace. And they will experience grace in every area of their life. They'll feel loved. They'll feel appreciated. They'll feel blessed. I thank you, Father, that um, the, the greatest gift I can ever pray over them is I thank you, Lord, that each one of them will have that gift of contentment. Because the moment they become content, not by a world's decision, but where they feel in their heart, so overwhelmed by, by your love that the things of this world grow strangely dim. That is the safest place to be. That is the richest you can ever become. To the point where they can, Father, what I've experienced, and you know this, is that I don't even know if I'm rich or poor. I just know I'm loved. Thank you, Father, that that is theirs. Thank you, Lord, that through this message and other messages and, and just your guidance over their life, that that can be true to them, that they will have an enlightened mind to see the dimensions of this awesomeness about your love for people. You love us. Thank you for that, Father. I also declare that the, the, the needs that people have here, that they are met in you. I thank you, Lord, that that business deal that needs to come through, that it comes through because of your power. I thank you, Father, that you just that, that provision is theirs and that it's drawn towards them and that as the light is in them, nature cannot wait to bring forth what they need. Thank you for that, Father.
Now, I can't, you know, you might say, Beth, you're just saying this, but I really just feel that there are people just getting even physical healing in their bodies as this is preached and that this word is confirmed with signs, wonders, and miracles. I don't even want to know if you got healed or not. That miracle is, 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 is a confirmation for you. And I know you'll tell your friends anyway because your heart will bubble over with it. just feel some stomach problems. You know, people are healed here. Even a lady that you just struggle with your menstrual cycle and, and uh, you know, your ovaries and stuff, I just see healing in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, just the glory of God, just bringing healing to you for free. He loves you. Amen. Amen. I want to thank you that you've blessed me with your presence that I could share this with you. What an honor. What an honor to speak to somebody, <laughs> you know, that God says, I'm willing to leave heaven to indwell them. you God's heaven, man. It's true. He says in Isaiah 66 verse 1, He says, The heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool, but who will build me a house where I can dwell? And he prophesies about Jesus. You know that will prepare us as the place where He can dwell. 